0: Welcome to episode 85 of Reclaiming the Faith. I'm your host, Phil Baker. This is a special episode for me because in this episode and the next two, I get to interview my dad, Olin Baker, who is a licensed professional counselor, about the topic of grief. If you want to find out more about My dad, Olin Baker, I really want to encourage you to check out first his podcast that he's begun to put out called Attitudes Answers and also his blog, attitudesanswers.blogspot.com. Please go check that out. You can find out more about him and his ministry there. Also, you'll hear on his podcast, uh, a voiceover by Ray Schillens of Radio Lounge USA, which you can find at radioloungeusa.com. Just incredible guys over there that do great work for voiceovers and podcasts and commercials. They record albums. Just incredible work that these guys at Radio Lounge do. So please go check them out. All right, like I said, this episode is part one of a three-part interview with my dad, Olin Baker, on grief. And in this episode, he breaks down different types of grief. So please check this out. I know it's going to be a blessing to you. And if it is, please consider leaving a rating and review on my Apple podcast channel, Reclaiming the Faith. And please go check out my dad's podcast as well, Attitudes Answers, and leave him a good rating and review as well there. Well, uh, you can find all of my resources at PhilSBaker.com. So please go over there and check out those resources. All right. Well, without any further ado, let's go ahead and get episode 85 rolling. All right. Well, Olin Baker, or better for me, Dad. <laughs> it's, it's really good to have you on Reclaiming the Faith. Thank you so much for carving some time out of your schedule to do this. Well, thank you
1: for inviting me. It's a pleasure to get to do this with my son, <laughs> Philip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I definitely miss our, our Thursday
0: lunches. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, will you tell the people a little bit about how you became a Christian?
1: Well, when I was a youngster, uh, eight or nine years old, I can remember this really vivid and plain. I was um, uh, at this little country church where we attended church. They were having a revival meeting, and um, I was about eight years old, I guess, and um, um, there were lots of people that were um, responding to the revival meeting. Um, And there's 30, 40 people in this little tiny church in this little tiny forming community. And I felt the spirit of the Lord talking to me and urging me to become a follower of Christ And that was really hard. And I'm sitting there evaluating this (laughs) and I'm thinking, I want to do that. Yeah. But I'm too scared to walk down the aisle right now. So I promise I'll do it later when I'm not so scared to go walking down this little tiny aisle of, you know, 15, 20 feet. Yeah. So uh, when I was a little older, uh, we had moved from this little farming community to a small town. And uh, my dad was working at a, a, a dealership in this little town. And so uh, he took me every Sunday morning to the Baptist church. Okay. Um, I think I was the only one that went to church actually mm. during those times. But he'd Always dropped me off. And and then again, uh, uh, when I was uh, about 12, I guess, well, they're having an, a revival meeting, as they called them, in um, those days at our church. And it was outside because the church didn't have uh, air conditioning. Uh, so they had lights and chairs set out out in The parking lot, right? And um, there was a good group of people coming, but whatever the pastor was talking about, yeah. or the, the uh, visiting preacher, yeah, um, brought back to memory, you know, my promise that mm. when I was a little older and I wasn't so scared to walk <laughs> down the aisle, I would do it, yeah, so um. Me and my little friend, Paul Moore, were uh, sitting there at the church. Again, I'm the only one from my family that's there. Mm. There was something about me that in all of my days of going to church and just basically sitting with my friend or somebody else that that drew, made me listen to Mm. what the pastor was saying, "Yeah, instead of coloring or yeah. reading or, you know, cutting up with the friends or whatever in the preaching service, yeah. because I was there by myself, basically. yeah." So uh, I decided that I would go down and uh, tell the preacher that I was making a decision to be a Christian. Mm. And... My little friend went with me, of course, because I went, he went. You know, it's like I'm influencing him to go down and make a profession of faith, as they call it. So yeah, um, that was the moment that I became, I think I became a Christian when I was eight. Yeah. It just took me longer to walk down the aisle because... uh, I firmly believed in, yeah. that Jesus was the Son of God, that he was uh, forgive me for all of my sins, that I could uh, become a permanent follower mm-hmm. of Christ. And yeah. that was my decision. And how old
0: were you when you eventually walked the aisle?
1: Twelve. Twelve. Right. All right, middle school. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. We'd... We lived, and we had moved from this little town of about two hundred yeah. to a town of where there was about fifteen hundred. Yeah, big, big place. Yeah. <laughs> well, you went from tiny
0: to little to bigger, and then after high school, you got into
1: the Air Force. That's right. Yeah. So that's a whole new ball game, too, for a, a country boy. That's right. That um I, I was not prepared or ready to be disciplined enough to go to college yeah and so um i decided that i would j- just get um volunteer and do a four year tour of duty in the air force rather than waiting around to get drafted yeah. vietnam was just picking up a bit you know And it was going to get worse. So um, uh, my cousins got drafted. Yeah. And for a year or two years, whatever the draft was, and it was okay for me to, um, I might have even decided to make that a career Mm. instead of just going and doing my military duty, you know, I've I thought I can stay in the Air Force for thirty years, and I'll still be in my forties. Yeah, you know, (laughs) rather than um, just uh, doing my four-year. Yeah, I like the idea of having a career. Yeah. Well, God had,
0: God had His plans for you. He did, and his, His plans were a little bit different, and so. How did you, while you're in the military, how did you come to decide that you wanted
1: to be a Christian counselor? Well, um, when you're assigned to a certain duty yeah. and a certain career field, it's assigned to you. You don't get to choose. They right. choose. <laughs> yeah. So I was in what they called an engineering squadron. And <clears throat> I met this young man who had been in combat. He had been wounded severely, so much so that he spent six months in a hospital recovering from his wounds. And he had gone to, when he got out of the military, he had gone to the University of Florida down in Gainesville, Florida. And he was taking all these psychology courses, as a form of therapy, I think. Yeah. That doesn't usually work too good, but he was telling me about, you know, the um, counseling that he did get Mm. uh, in uh, college, Um, because most colleges have a counseling center, you know, where you can go and talk about issues. And so... um, just talking with him about his experience and the counseling that he got in at college made me think, I can do that. Right. I can do that. That's what I want to do. So uh, uh, I got out of the Air Force. and uh, But in the meantime, in my two years remaining, I attended a, a community college that was a Uh, 10 minutes away from the air base so I could, uh, uh, I asked for a a job where I could work in the afternoon and evening. It's like the second shift in something. So my uh, uh, sergeants assigned me to the water plant. Yeah. And uh, And I learned how to operate that water plant. That meant getting water from seven wells to the air treatment, to the water treatment plant and up to the tower. And I did that for the remaining time I had in the Air Force. But in the morning, I would go to... uh, Attend classes at the junior college that was across the the way from the base, so I finished up my freshman year while I was uh, in the Air Force. but I did my full time job, yeah, doing that too, but God just worked out things, but just meeting people, meeting this young man that had uh, studied psychology, yeah. And got counseling that he was right there. He was the barracks chief. Yeah. We called him the dorm mother, you know, (laughs) Um, because he he could take humor. Yeah. (laughs) Having 60 guys, you know, in the barracks, uh, you have to be able to take a little (laughs) humor and have some fun with it. But very strict on duties. Yeah. Uh, Air Force regulations.
0: Yeah, well, after your four years uh, in the Air Force, you went to North
1: Texas, right? That's right, I and th- I... and then to seminary as well. That's right. Yeah, um, when I, when I was in the Air Force, I went over to talk with the chaplain, uh, who was a Baptist minister, but he he was um, uh, the chaplain for. Everybody. Yeah, and you could. He was a counselor himself. He had to be do counseling. So, I went to talk to him about what I wanted to do, and he said he said to me, "If that's what you want to do, prepare yourself for the ministry. To study and show yourself worthy yeah. of the calling that God has placed in your life, and that means that." You should go to college. You should get a college degree. It meant that you should go to seminary and get a seminary degree, yeah. and then that you should uh, do your clinical training somewhere. So that's what I did. So yeah. I graduated from the University of North Texas. I uh, graduated from Southern Southwestern Baptist. Seminary. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then I came to Houston. Yeah. I was going to be here for a couple of years. And yeah. so um, I spent two years at the uh, Institute of Religion and Human Development out at the Medical Center. Okay. And I got to work in the hospitals as a, as a, a, a chaplain intern. Yeah, and you, you worked at Bentob for a little bit, right? Well, for a couple of years.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and I'm sure you saw a lot of crazy stuff
1: there. Well, you get yeah. You get baptized by fire at, at Bentob. Well, it's exactly true. Yeah. Everything comes through the emergency room there. Yeah. And uh, you had to do whatever you needed to do, whatever yeah. you were assigned to do.
0: Yeah, and... You know, kind of speaking of trauma, as you're seeing people with encountering so many different types of trauma there, and in your 40 plus years of counseling, um, just a common theme that people will come to you with is they have some type of, type of grief. So, encountering uh, people with very different types of trauma that led to different types of grief, whether it be a death um, in the family or just a horrible accident, it could be. Uh, some kind of relationship trauma, leads to different types of grief. So what are some different types of grief?
1: Well, generally speaking, there's grief that um, you might think of as anticipatory grief. That's where you, if someone is sick, Mm. you know, they have to go to the hospital or they're uh, going away, it's like when I left to go to the Air Force, mm. I think it affected my dad more than it did my mother because his idea was that that when you're in the military, you're shooting a gun, you're being shot at, yeah. you know there's other kinds of ways that you'll get killed, yeah or wounded severely, right kind of like my the friend that I met, you know and Florida. So I've, he was grieving so much that he couldn't talk to me. Mm. Uh, <laughs> that's cool. I've, I've never
0: heard that term, anticipatory grief, but it's
1: obvious right. once you hear it. Like it happens all the time. That's right. The, uh, if something is changing in your family, you know, like someone is late coming home. Yeah. You know, and that's not like them because they all show up. Mm. You begin to imagine what could have happened to them. Yeah, And so it's, you anticipate. Mm. Well, some people are just given to thinking the worst possible case. Yeah. So, and they begin to grieve. Mm. And then the person comes home and said, well, had a little fender bender. Yeah. Or somebody had a fender bender and... I was just uh, unable to get past it. And so I, yeah. a couple of hours later, I was able to get past all of the chaos or commotion or whatever. Or if someone is changing mm. in the family like they're changing and you begin to imagine what could be causing this person to be different. Yeah, They're not as affectionate. They're not as... Uh, Uh, verbal or they're not as talking. They seem distant. What's going on? And you begin to anticipate what might be happening. And that's normal. That's right. Yeah. It is normal. But it may cause you to be sad. It may cause you to be angry. Mm. And it just may be a, a, a time in life where things physically change. Yeah. And so you're beginning to change and be different and maybe to be um, sad or whatever about something that hadn't happened yet. Yeah. But you're imagining it to be something. So that's anticipatory grief. Yeah. Okay. So, and then there's normal grief. Mm. Just normal grief that... Everybody is supposed to experience like um, you get older and you lose some of your uh, athletic ability. Yeah. And that causes you to be sad because you can't get out and uh, do the things. You can't play as hard. You can't run as fast. Mm. You know, you can't walk as far. You uh, you lose something. Um metabolism slows down and you don't look the way you used to. <laughs> yeah, you gain you gain too much weight and yeah, uh, that causes people to be sad. Yeah. But, you know, your aging parents die. Mm. You know, both of my parents have passed away. Yeah. So, uh, it's normal to feel sad about that and to go through the stages of grief. People get divorced. Mm. You know, their children uh, leave home and go to college. Mm. Um, All of those things cause normal grief. You lose your job. Yeah. You know, in this uh, 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 COVID Mm nineteen time that we're uh, going through right right now, people they can't go to work. Yeah. Maybe they've been laid off or you know, their, their job came to an end um, yeah. or the, the company merged or whatever and you lose your job, right. that causes grief and sadness, causes uh, people to be fearful of what's going to happen to us. And so you go through these normal stages of grief. Mm. And then there's a, a type of grief called uh, cumulative grief. Okay, and uh, someone was telling me that um, he lost his job because Mm. of the company merging, and that caused a crisis within the family. So he and his wife got divorced because of all of the stress and the grief that was going there, and so. uh, he, they lost their house because they couldn't make the payments on it. You know, uh, just one thing after another. It's kind of like Job. Yes. Uh, his house, his fields, his,
0: uh, his animals, his kids. And then he has all these physical
1: ailments, like yeah, one thing after another. That's cumulative. Yeah. That means that grief is layered in yeah. one layer after the other. Yeah. So that's another type of, of grief, and and then there's a a type of grief that's called complicated grief, mm. because uh, the process of grieving through a loss causes other things to happen. You know, like the, the grieving process may cause you to begin to worry excessively, Mm. even to the point of causing ulcers, Mm. you know, because of the gastric acid that's building up in your stomach, and you can't process it, so it eats away at the lining of your stomach. Mm. So, um, or you could get so depressed that you cannot uh, function well yeah. You know, you want to stay in bed all the time and you just can't you don't have the energy or the effort or the reason to do the normal things that you normally do. So that can be complicated. It yeah. can be complex. Mm. You know, and because there's too many things to work out. Yeah. And then there's another thing called delayed grief, Mm. where people put it off. Yeah. Um, Now, most people do that to some degree Mm. uh, because it's inappropriate to be grieving from their perspective. Mm. It's like when my dad died, well, and I went up to uh, just take care of things. Well, he had not prepared for his death. Yeah. He had no arrangements, yeah. nothing. So I had to go to the funeral home and mm. purchase a casket for him. Yeah. You know, because they won't bury you unless you have a casket. Yeah. And deciding how much to spend on that casket, you know, that was would be what he agreed with. He was a very simple guy, needed simple stuff, didn't. Need no, anything fancy, mm. so you know, we had to decide how much to spend on this, yeah, and then where is he going to be buried, yeah, and uh, getting though, and he wanted to be buried way out in the country, kind of where close to where we, when I was a little boy growing up, and uh, um, so making arrangements for them to uh dig the grave, mm. get the graveyard, the cemetery prepared. So I'm doing all of these things and um, then all these people coming to the house, you know. There's so much to do. You have to take care of stuff. I mean, it's making me think of,
0: you are talking about soldiers, like your dad's worries about you being in war, right? Well, if you are in war and your best friend gets shot you don't have time to stop
1: and grieve. You have a job to do. Right. And, and that's why, you know, we hear so much about post traumatic stress syndrome. Mm. You know, that's where um, you're grieving or you're going through a, a situation months later or whatever. Mm. When, when I got home, I didn't cry. Mm. At my dad's, and in addition to that, the pastor wanted me to get up and talk, yeah, and tell stories about him, right. And so I have to be together enough to do that, yeah. And so um, when get, getting home, you know, a few days later, and going back to work and doing all my stuff, all of a sudden I began to feel it. Yeah. It began to hit me when I'm calm, when uh, I'm not uh, stressed out because of all of these tasks that had to be done. The grief started coming. Yeah, but I was able to know what it was and to give myself permission to um, go ahead and and be sad, to cry, to yeah. Uh, have moments when I'm just kind of really having deep sorrow mm. uh, about um, my dad being, going, never never going to talk to him again, ever. Yeah. You know, never going to see him again. Never going to go up there and he has jobs for me to do because I could do jobs for him. Yeah. You know, that he didn't want to do. Yeah. He had money to to get anything he wanted, but he liked for me to fix it. Yeah, right. The Aubrey (laughs) engineering. Right. Yeah. Because I could do it. I just had that ability to work on stuff to fix, like put a fuel pump on his car one time. Yeah. Or fix the cook stove, his uh, electric uh, range, Mm. where... uh, Three of the, the the elements had burned out, <laughs> and so just he liked for me to fix it. Yeah, and well, I need you for you to do this or whatever. But I enjoyed doing that because I liked working on stuff and fixing stuff. That got me in trouble as a little boy because uh, <laughs> I could start his cars up and drive them. Yeah. You know, without him, without his permission. <laughs> right. He never once ever spanked me for something like that. Yeah. Because uh, I could just do stuff. And uh, I think it made him, you know, <laughs> proud, kind of, proud that of I you. could do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On one hand, but uh, that could be dangerous, like sure. starting the tractor up when yeah. I'm just a little tot. Yeah. Uh, that means I'm six or seven years old, and I can start his tractor up. And for my sister and I to take a ride down, yeah. you know, <laughs> when he would be gone out someplace. So I I miss doing all of that stuff, and all of that stuff would hit me later. Mm. Uh, and that's called delayed grief again. And there's another type of grief that's called inhibited grief, mm. where you will not allow yourself to do something because it might make somebody else uncomfortable. Uh, those are kind of similar, like cousins. They It is. Yeah. They kind of go together. So you... you uh, society might not think it's good for you to grieve in public, yeah. or show your your uh, anger, or show your sadness, or question mm-hmm. God. So uh, the these restrictions that sometimes society places on you. You can see that in like maybe some different authority
0: roles of authority or leadership people feeling like they have to project a certain image of having it together. Right. And I mean, that could be like ministers
1: or parents. Absolutely. or You know, just some kind of authoritative role. Or, you know, even, serve, even serving as a counselor. Mm. You know, I could keep myself together and still do my job. Right. Rather than identifying with... Uh, client mm. and experiencing my own stuff yeah i have to i knew what would be going on if that was even had uh, any of the uh, potential for st- making me feel what they're feeling yeah and it's
0: natural for that to happen it, like you're talking about your dad's death and i'm thinking about myself <laughs> and right. us you know and right. me not wanting to go through that right and you know, because that's just the power of story but i i definitely get like you feeling like not just you have a job to do but you're trying to help the
1: other person by stuffing what's going on inside right you. i have to be you you have to be together yeah to help people but um Um, there's other places where you can go to show your grief. Yeah. But sometimes you just have to um, uh, keep it to yourself. Yeah. Uh, That's part of it. Uh, You know, there's another type of grief that's called disenfranchised grief. Mm. And that is where it's kind of similar to what this inhibited grief, but... Um, it's like if you lose your pet, mm. and everybody says it's only a dog or a cat or a a, 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 a mouse or yeah, whatever sure. your your uh, um,
0: <laughs> a boa constrictor, is, you it's, know <laughs> yeah. that you
1: have identified. And yeah, pets do become. Like members of the family, right? And you love them to death. And like in 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 our family, you know, we had a little dog named Shandy, and uh, he was an outside dog. Yeah, he just loved to be outside, and he did. We he didn't have to be locked up because he wasn't going anywhere. Yeah, he just loved being outside. And every day when I would come in from work. This little dog, this little Sheltie, little tiny... uh, uh, Like a miniature collie. Yeah. Yeah. They're called miniature Shetland sheepdogs. Yeah. He would be there to meet me. I'd open the door and he'd hop up in the car. Yeah. Because, and then... He would be in my lap for a minute, I'd pet him, talk to him, you know. And then he would uh, hop over in the passenger seat (laughs) saying, okay, let's go (laughs) (laughs) for a ride, you know. Well, you know, true to form, when he was, you know, 14 or 15, he began to get sick. Yeah. Kind of like elderly human beings when they get to a certain age. Things quit working, you yeah. know, and so um, Shandy was part of the family. Mm. You know, he he was my wife's dog initially, yeah. But then he became my dog, yeah, uh, because he I would talk to him and spend, you know, pet him and yeah. uh, uh, play with him and all kinds of stuff, you know. So um, disenfranchised grief. Um, is where you, that's just a dog. You yeah. can't grieve about that. Uh, in a political sense, it's where somebody's vote that is not going to be allowed to count. Mm. You know, we heard a lot about that mm. uh, during one of the elections uh, a few years ago. Sure. You know, where people's vote weren't allowed to count or whatever. Um and in grief it's where you're not allowed to grieve because it's not acceptable. Society thinks this is too minor for yep. you to waste your time grieving on it that's right and yeah. but the we're so individualistic in grieving that we how we identify mm. you know is different from people, and there are some people that um where the, it's called absent grief, mm. uh, where um, people, um, I'm not grieving. I don't feel anything. I don't need to grieve. I refuse to grieve. I'm mm. not going to do it. Um, one of my friends one time uh, went through divorce. Mm. She says, I'm not going to grieve about that stupid, you know. Mm. And she used some words that yeah, I can't yeah. say. But right, you know, uh, I'm not going to grieve over that. I'm going to have a new life. I am going to have fun yeah. for a chance in my life and good riddance. Yeah. See, so I'm pleased. I'm relieved. I'm glad. This guy's gone. Yeah, trying to reframe it as a
0: a positive rather than a loss,
1: but but they're refusing to um, they're discounting the power of attachment mm. and and how what happens to people when an attachment is broken. Mm. Now her grief may have started way early in their marriage. Mm. So, but it just got so complex and complicated and Mm. uh, uh, too much uh, emotions and Mm. stuff that I I will not allow myself to grieve over that person. But, you know, two marriages later Mm. kind of hit her. Yeah, took about six or seven or eight years But then the grief and loss of her first husband began to come back. And that's kind of interesting how that does that. And that's just called absent grief. And then there's one more, and it's called exaggerated Mm. grief. Okay. Where, you know, everything is more intense. Mm. You know, it's maxed out. Mm. It's so exaggerated that it's hard for the person to make any kind of progress on it. Mm. Like, I will never um, have another relationship. Even yeah. though I'm maybe young and capable of having other relationships, yeah. I will never, uh, that was my one love for life. Mm. You know, like, people get killed in car accidents. They, um, um, that happened one time at Bentab, where a young woman who was the mother of two little boys, uh, uh, they all were in the car, and, and she is the only fatality of that uh, horrific wreck that happened on the Gulf Freeway. And um, this mother was so so overtaken that is their only child mm. and all she wanted to do was um, just be angry and hostile and mean mm. to uh, I got to be part of that yeah to the point where and her husband the father is just... He's in such a state of shock Mm. that he can't move and he can't talk. He's just there. And the mother is attacking everybody. Mm. So um, I got... uh, uh, I wound up having to restrain her because she was going to hurt me or her husband or herself. Mm. And so I had to restrain her because... Her grief was so exaggerated. Yeah. But that happened during a state of shock. Yeah.
0: You know, it seems like all of these different types of grief are methods of our, the way God has made us to protect ourselves. It's like the autonomic response of like fight or flight. We're just trying to keep ourselves safe. And, um, protect ourselves protect others and that last one made me think it's almost like um uh by being so angry i don't have to attack i'll keep myself from attaching to people so i can't get hurt
2: Like a child before hope fades, Disappointment sets in. Wake me to your wonder, And shake me from this slumber, And make me burn with passion again.